You know, God has called us to have an encounter and uh, he teaches us through those encounters. And in that, then he says, activate what you have learned. And this is the hour of activation in the kingdom of God. This is the hour of opportunity. There's so much to do, so much to be done, and so many opportunities for us to be able to serve. And I just want to encourage you guys, you uh, uh, need to be aware that we are a part of things everywhere here in Columbus and around the world that we are touching hundreds and thousands of lives every month in the kingdom of God. And I know sometimes when we don't see it with our own eyes, we don't realize that it's happening. But listen, it is on in the kingdom of God. This is a great day to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the hour to take your gifting and prepare to have it utilized for the work of the ministry because God is so good that it, it, it seems as if when everything else around you is going south, God's going north and he is in front of everything the enemy has a scheme to do in our lives and you can rest assured that you don't even see a tenth of what God does for you in your life that keeps you in the place that you are now, but prepares you to be prepare, propelled into the next part of your destiny. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Come on now. Oh, what a good hour. We've had three great messages on the church. We're focusing on the church right now, its function, its operation. Uh, and so we'll have two more messages on the church today. I hope to get, you know, I ain't preached in a while here because uh, somebody else likes to do all the preaching now. So <laughs> seriously, though, how many of you have just thoroughly been blessed over the last... And actually, I almost just turned it over to Beth this morning and said, preach it, sister. That's a good message on the church right there. I, and, I actually forgot to say, we already have 135 kids signed up wow. to come here. That is, that's, yeah. that's in the first hour and a half that we're open. Yeah, you know, guys, they, they're, they're coming to us to receive ministry. They're coming to us to receive what they need. I mean, this is tailor-made. It doesn't get any easier or any better than that. Hallelujah. 60 salvations, two years in a row, multiple people getting prayer. You don't have to go with me to Burundi to minister. Yeah, I mean, the outreach, the, the mission work is going to be here on December 11th. I mean, how good is that? Jeez, man. Oh, amen. Let's go home. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow. The last three weeks we've been talking about the church. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, we've been talking about the uh, the bones of the church uh, over the last three weeks. For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the operation of the church, what God has gifted the members of the church to be parts of, why he's done it, how he's done it, what he's going to continue to do, because uh, we're in a part of a movement now that's going to move forward until the return of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing aspiration when you think about it to be a part of something that has lasted this long. There's not an organization on earth that has lasted over 2,000 years and is still being as impactive or even more impacting than it's ever been in its existence. It's a great hour. 
Next week, we're going to do something unusual. I'm going to have a, a live testimony of somebody you've never met before. I'm going to have a recorded testimony of uh, somebody who's a friend of mine. And we're going to talk about God moving right here. You know, sometimes when we talk about like stuff like healing, we say, well, pastor, we know God heals. We get to hear you tell what God did in Rwanda. We get to hear what God did in Mexico. We get to hear what God's doing in Cuba. Uh, but you know what? I'm telling you, that's not the only place that God is doing business in. Amen. And sometimes we think God's not doing anything in America. And that's the furthest thing from the truth because God loves people everywhere. And so why wouldn't he heal people here in America as well? I want to encourage you next week, if you know somebody that needs healed of anything, emotionally, physically, financially, any of broken relationships, I want you to bring them next week. And we're going to uh, place that in front of God. And we'll pray for anyone who has an infirmity next week as we build your faith when you hear the testimonies of the people that I'm going to bring next week. We're going to have a preaching of the word. We're going to have testimonies. We're going to have activation. It doesn't get any better than this in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. How many of you would love to see somebody get healed next week? Amen. Woo. Mm. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. The first week, Pastor Caleb talked about uh, the church is a building. He said Jesus is building his church. And it exists because Jesus uh, passionately loves the church. And he talked about the instructional material that God has given us in the word to move the church forward. And the second week, he talked about us walking in authority. And uh, so he talked about needing something or possessing something to uh, combat the gates of hell. The ecclesia, the governmental legislative body of the church exists as members of heaven that would act as representatives of heaven to enact God's will here on earth. That's a that's a powerful thought process when you think of how important you are in the scheme of everything that God's doing in his kingdom. You know, folks, this is time to shake off the sleepiness because you need to get in the place that God's called you to be because the job of the church is big in this hour. And it needs you and you and you and you and you and all of us to do what God has gifted us to do as he fits us in as these pieces upon the chief cornerstone that he's building that people can find out who he is and have an eternal existence in, in life. How many of you realize that it's nice to know that no matter what happens where you serve God, if, if I go to Africa and give it all and leave it there and they can just leave my body there because if my body's dead, my spirit is alive, I never die. Christians never go. They go from life to life. Amen. Amen. And so we can live and operate like others can't operate because we don't have that hindrance holding us down. You, you follow me here for a minute? You follow me? Hallelujah. We are not like the others. We're not like the people who don't know Jesus. And that's why we've got to get people, more people saved, more people to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And then last week he talked about the church being the ultimate dwelling place. 
he was talking about the tabernacle was like a mobile home. And Jesus is looking for a forever home. And somebody rub your heart. Just rub your heart right now and say, welcome home, Jesus. Hallelujah. Welcome home because this is now your dwelling place. Hallelujah. Take a deep breath. Lift your arms out and say, welcome home, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Welcome home. Smile as you're welcome home. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad to know that you are a temple for the most high God to dwell in and every place in which our foot shall tread. That's what the Old Testament says in Joshua. And the New Testament is, is every place in which our foot shall tread. Jesus and I, we we've already gained authority over that place. Amen. Because we have Jesus living inside of us. The church, what an exciting place to be, amazingly exciting place to be. And uh, when we look at, turn with me if you would to Matthew 10 this morning, and you're going to do a lot of uh, Bible flipping today. We've got a great message for you. Uh, we're going to be based out of Mark chapter 1, if you want to go to Mark 1 and put your finger there. Uh, but I just want to start out in Matthew chapter 10. And as I do, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would invade the hearts and minds of your people today. That, Father, that you would do what you did so well when you taught in the synagogues, you taught people into an encounter. That you not only taught your word, but you activated it. And then people got to encounter who you were and it blew them away. It always says they were astonished and they were amazed and they were this and that because they got to see something like they've never seen before. And so as we open the word today, let us see it like we've never seen it before. Let us embrace it. Let us be motivated by it and let it God lead us into that place where we're not only taught, but that we encounter and that we not only encounter, but we activate the things that you're showing us in your word. And so, Father, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. verse five says this, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanding them, saying, do not go the way to the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, <coughs> but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Pastor Caleb talked about that, the instructions, follow the instructions. You know, when God calls you to do something, he always gives you a pathway to do it. Follow that pathway and you're going to find things that are, 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 are things that you could never imagine. The Bible basically says this in Corinthians. It says we're to see the invisible and believe in the impossible. And we can, let me say that again, we're to see the invisible and believe in the impossible. That's what faith does. And our faith is built as we encounter Jesus Christ through his word, through his witness, through our testimony, through what we see in other people's lives. You know, uh, everyone who's ministering is an example to somebody else as to what can be done if we would take that step of faith to do what God is leading us to do. And so he goes on to say uh, in verse seven, listen to this. And this is the amazing part of this. And as you go, and by the way, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to see that same phrase 
in Mark, when we begin to read in Mark, it's a powerful statement. It means that the kingdom of heaven is near. And so when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he brought those parameters of heaven to earth. And as we see what is possible, what heaven has afforded us, then we can now know that the power of God is with us. It has drawn near to us. It is available to us. It's, it's like as tangible as this water is to hold is the power of God. Go preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen to this. He, here's his orders. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you need to give. Now, come on now. If that's not an exciting journey, I don't know. There's nothing I can do to tweak your fancy. Trust me. If healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out demons uh, is, is not, does not sound like an adventure, then no adventure will ever be given for you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what Jesus told his disciples to do when he sent them to the streets to minister. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to begin to take a look at, as I said before, Caleb talked about the structure of the church and why it's so amazing, why it's so strong, and what it's actually built upon. And now I want to talk to you about what the inner workings of the church is to look like. And I firmly believe that in Mark chapter 1, God has given us a blueprint for the things that we are to do as New Testament believers. You know, Jesus was not just a teacher, he was an activator. Wouldn't you say that? Isn't that what happens on, on the nights when Miss Betty trains the prophetic? She does a little teaching and then in the only Betty type of way, she says, now I want you to think that you're in ancient Rome and people are walking the streets and what would you, you know, I mean, she's gives us these prophetic examples. I know it's not that wild, but you know, if I gave you enough time, you'd get to the streets of Rome. But, uh, but what she's trying to do is saying, look, I've taught you what it looks like. Now let's try to do what I've taught you to do. Because when you grasp a hold of that here, that I know you're going to take it out there and be comfortable in doing it. And that's what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 1. He's setting the course for what he's going to ask his initial 12 guys to be a part of. And it's going to be the blueprint that still works today for the way God wants his church to operate. It's amazing, the blueprint. And we, we know that uh, as we see here, Beth was talking. Oh, I'm not going to go there yet. I'll talk about that in a minute. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Oh, hallelujah. And it came to pass in verse 9, in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Verse 12, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels that were ministering to him. Verse 14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And how did it happen? And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants <coughs> and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teachings for he had taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that uh, they questioned among themselves saying, who is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. And now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together. And this is interesting. We go from the, uh, the couple guys that are fishermen and then we move into the synagogue and then we move into an entire city. You see, every place that something of the Spirit of God attracts, there's always more that want to come, more that want to be a part, more that want to see what he has to do. So then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not know or he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose have I come forth. 
And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion, searched, or stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, <coughs> immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he was strictly warned and they sent him and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer uh, for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim freely and it spread uh, the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted in, in, in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. This is the blueprint for the New Testament church. Jesus was uh, was showing what it was supposed to be like. The first thing that we need to see here is, is that at Jesus's baptism, something triggered the engagement. That it was a, a, it was a, a, a time where Jesus was going to go before and, and clarify something that was spoken prophetically in the Old Testament. And because of his obedience, and yes, I'm saying Jesus and his obedience, even Jesus had to have a form and a realm of obedience to what God had called him do, to do so that what he was called to do could actually take place. So many times in our lives we're called to do this or that and we fail to walk out into that place because of a lack of obedience and the ministry that God was creating for us never takes place. And so we need to understand that it was by Jesus's obedience that he began to go into that place to have John baptize him. Now, why was it so important? It was so important because Jesus was firmly aware of the fact that until the Holy Spirit would come into his life, that the activation, the full power of his ministry was not going to take place. How could he know that? Because he hung out with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Because he was at the point of creation. The Bible says that he was there. He was at that point of creation and he was the word and, and the word created all things. And so this is a relationship that he was firmly aware of and what needed to transpire. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter one. And let's look at verse two. Genesis one, two. Why did he need the Holy Spirit to come in and activate what God was going to do in his life? Well, you need to understand that in 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the, listen to this, the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The word there hovering does not mean he was stuck in one transparent place. It means that 
He was moving to and fro across the water. He was sizing it up. He was uh, measuring. He was, he was taking note. He was looking at the places that God the Father would then begin to move because even God the Father didn't do anything in the creativeness of, of creating the earth until the Holy Spirit began to hover and show himself for the purpose that he had. And when the Holy Spirit was in place, it says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. You see, God never wants anything to remain in darkness. That's why Jesus came, because he is the what? Light of life. And when you walk with him, you shall no longer walk in what? Darkness. See, that's what light does. Light illuminates. And for the, the rest of the creativeness of what God was going to do, first he had to shine light in the midst of the darkness so he could deal with what was void in there. Now listen, this is no different than what people need who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are walking in a realm of darkness, and until they're introduced into the light, they cannot see that there are two different ways to exist. In, in the earth. They cannot see what their ultimate purpose is. And so when, the, when Jesus went to that place of baptism, he went to the place, move with me to Mark cha or Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to look, we're going to keep moving on here, but understand this whole conception of the Holy Spirit coming into Jesus' life is a critical point of understanding the formation of the New Testament church. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, uh, John says, Indeed, I baptize you with water into repentance. He's talking to the folks who had gathered. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. So see, John was sent forth on his mission through his obedience to prepare the way for what Jesus was going to ultimately do for all of us. Do you guys realize that there's a piece of John the Baptist in each of us who call Jesus Christ their personal Savior? That there's a pathway for each one of us to clear and to create so that people can find Jesus as their Savior. So he goes on to say, let's pick it up in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent it because he said, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. And Jesus said, he said, permit it, permit it to be so now, permit it now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What transpired? was the spirit that was hovering over the earth, uh, preparing and empowering God to create the things that he had created for all of us to love and enjoy, was now in Jesus as well. The creative and the powerful Holy Spirit that Jesus is saying, I want you to permit it now. You know, John, don't look at who should be baptizing who. I've got to have the Holy Spirit because I know what's next for me. Amen. And so... 
that's what happened. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. And this is what brought Jesus in in the first place, was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in Luke 1, starting in verse uh, 31, if you're there, say, I'm there. And behold, everybody say that with me and say it like you mean it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit, the creative one who came at the time of creation, the one who Jesus is going to ultimately be baptized by, the one who Jesus is going to passionately go to the cross so that every follower after him can be filled with the Spirit, that same Spirit that as they fill... Oh, come on, somebody. Now listen to me. It says in verse 30, or the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now her sixth month uh, uh, to that who was called barren. In verse 37, for, God, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the, hand, the, the, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed in her. So what happened in Mary's life when she talked and moved into the realm of obedience? What happened was, is that the Holy Spirit was able to move upon her life and create something that could never be created in any other way. There's no way that a, a woman can be impregnated without a man in the natural sense. But the Holy Spirit can create whatever he wants to create. So he came upon Mary and, and birthed the seed inside of her that was the savior of the world. Amen. And so when we look at the, the, the purpose and direction of what the Holy Spirit does, we see the activation at creation. We know that it, it happened at, at, before Jesus was born, that the Holy Spirit creatively put inside of Mary's womb his life. And then we see that when Jesus was baptized, that this fullness of the Holy Spirit came upon him there. Why? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. There's things that happen in the kingdom that can't happen anywhere else. There's things that God does in and through his believers that will not happen in any other way, shape, or form. And it's beautiful to know that Jesus not only found this at the time of his uh, uh, water baptism that the Holy Spirit came upon him but we too can find the same thing because that same Jesus in John chapter 14 says that greater things will you do in my name when you go to do the work that I've given you to do in the kingdom so in Luke chapter 17 let's take a look at what this creativeness the power of the Holy Spirit has 
the operation to do. In verse 11, it says, now it happened. Come on now. I mean, what a great statement. Now it happened. That should make you be saying, unless you're Gary, he can close his Bibles because he knows the Bible. He's got it memorized front and backwards. So he knows what's going to happen. But the Bible says, now it happened. That ought to just raise your faith a little bit. Now it happened. As he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood far off. Why did they stand far off? Because nobody wanted anything to do with them. Because if you were touched with leprosy, there was no pill, there was no vaccine, there was nothing you could take. If you were a leper, you were gonna, your body was going to, fingers were going to fall off, ears, everything, ultimately until you died. And so they were told to stay afar off. But how many of you know that Jesus doesn't like doing things from afar? Amen? How many of you know that Jesus doesn't like to do things only online? Amen? How many of you know that the enemy would love if the church would just congregate online? That's not going to happen. Because Jesus' ministry is ministry that is personal, it's hands-on, and it's uh, people touching people. And that's how lives get transformed. It's not only how they get transformed, it's how they get motivated. It's not only how they get motivated, but as you join together with the people that are touched by you, you're touched by them, you create a team that is now able to do things exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever imagine. You see, this was never meant to be contained by one vessel for one purpose, for only you to be transformed. Whew! So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. I want you to see what happens here. This is really cool. Now, this isn't like the other lepers that I just read about. This is a little different. Okay. So he says, go show yourself to the priests." And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus, all he had to do was speak to them. There was, a, do y'all catch that? All he had to do was speak to them. And so when he spoke to them, then what did he say next? The Bible doesn't say that they were immediately healed, did they? It said, and as they began to walk, that they were healed. Come on now. I mean, this is the way it is with believers in the kingdom. And as you begin to walk, you will be healed of past things and things that are holding you down and things that are burdening you and things that have kept you back for years and years. As you walk to the places that God is calling you to, He allows His Holy Spirit to enable you to get what you need for the place that you are going. And one of them, uh, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorify, and he glorified God. He fell down on his face and at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, uh, were there not ten cleansed, but uh, where uh, are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? And he said to them, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, we don't have any idea. Them other nine might have been running off telling so many people about what Jesus did that uh, they didn't have time to come back. I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But the reality is, is this, that Jesus touched them, 
Through their obedience, it says they had to walk towards the priest. How many of them do you think would have got healed if they just froze and didn't do what Jesus asked them to do? I don't think any of them would have got healed. I think they'd have been sitting here waiting on it. You see, this is the big problem with the body of Christ. We're sitting there waiting for things to happen when what happens is as we move. You know, it, we, we can't just think that by osmosis, ministry is going to come. That's why when we got people coming to us, it's like it's, it's about as good as it gets. And then you get to practice on all of those people who are coming to you directly as, so that you can go out and do what you're called and gifted to do. This is amazing stuff. Now, stay with me for a minute. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Now, Jesus just did this. And I, I, I talk about this scripture all the time when I'm talking about communion. So why was Jesus so adamant for John the Baptist to baptize him? Because he knew. He knew that once I got baptized, the Holy Spirit would come upon me. So listen to what he says in, in 22. When the hour had come, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why? Because he knew that this was the key to you and me now being able to receive the Holy Spirit for ourselves. And, and, and it, I mean, this guy was passionate to have his flesh ripped off his body, to have a crown of thorns stuck on his head, to have a spear jabbed in his side, and to have his hands nailed to the cross because he knew once he did that, you would be able to receive the same thing that he received to do his ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but if that don't make you want to sing those songs this morning, then nothing is ever going to allow you to raise your voice to God. He had a fervent passion. Baptize me now. I got to go to the cross now. Why? Because the next part of God's plan for the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. See, he's painting a picture for what this time. We're in a whole different season. Don't want to get ahead of myself, but we are in a whole different season. So go with me to Luke chapter 24. And let's start in verse 46, 24, 46. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. What have you witnessed in your life as a believer? What ministry have you got to witness where only God could have done that? What, 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 what of yourself have you given that cost you to get to where you were going to go to get the opportunity to even do it? And verse 49 says this, say behold with me. Behold! Now say it like Charlton Heston in, in, in a movie would say. Or say it like Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Behold! That's the power that reverberates from Jesus' spoken word. When he says, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I told you we were going to be doing a lot of Bible flipping today. 
Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And being assembled together. Why? Because they were obedient. He told them, go and wait till I deliver to you what I'm going to give you. And so what did they have to do to get it? They had to be obedient. You, you had to be obedient. Obedience is the thread that goes through this entire uh, analogy of Scripture that I talked to you about. Okay, so he says this. Uh, he says, um, uh, and being assembled together, he went with them, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me in Luke 24, 49. Says in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. Now see, this is going to play out. He's going back to what John said to give credence to the power of John's ministry and his purpose. See, if John didn't prepare the way, then there wouldn't have been a way for Jesus to do what he did. Do you understand how important you are to somebody's history? Do you understand how important you are to somebody's eternity? You got to get it together now because people are depending on you. People are depending on you. Because I, I, I haven't been to Liberia, and please forgive me, friend. <laughs> Not that you haven't asked me to go 15 or 100 times, and I'm going to. But since I'm not there, when you go in December or whenever you're going, do the work of the kingdom that you've been trained to do here. Do it there so that all the people that none of us here can come in contact with can find Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It doesn't get any better than this, guys. It just doesn't get any better than this. Now, so it says, uh, okay, now listen. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not so many days from now. Therefore, uh, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know. Just pay attention to what I'm telling you. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons in which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive what? Power. Dunamis power. Say power like you got it. Power. Ooh, yeah, that's the best one all day, you guys. Uh, let's do it again. Power. You shall receive power when uh, the Spirit has come upon you in your dwelling place, in your temple, in your house, and you shall be witnesses to me. That's what, we, that's what we're called to do, to be as witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and, and Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2 happens. The Holy Spirit gets poured out. Look at how this is, it has developed since Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now we've got Jesus, and Jesus did, well, we got John the Baptist. John the Baptist did his thing. Now we got Jesus, and Jesus did his thing. And now the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we get to do our thing. And so watch what the progression is. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. I don't know, is anybody half as excited as I am this morning? Come on now. Whew, thank God that Caleb set the table. Now I just get to put the food on it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that's the way it should work. You do the hard work and I do the easy work. Hallelujah. You're much younger than I am. Much better looking and all that stuff. So now think of this. Isn't this interesting? 
First, who preached the first message in Acts chapter 2? Why did, why did he get to? You think the 11 were like, how come Peter got to do that? Yeah, Beth said because he also put his foot in his mouth earlier, so Jesus thought he'd let him extricate it. Think about this, though. Here's, here's a guy who denied his Savior three times, and, and, and it came to the place to where, Peter, do you love me? I mean, Jesus just loved on Peter, restored him, set him back in place. You know, guys, if all of us let our past hold us back from what our future has to offer, ain't none of us going to do anything. I'm the Apostle Paul of Redeemer. I'm the greatest sinner of all sinners. Hallelujah. But you know what? There comes a point in time when you've got to look your past in, in, in the eyes and say, you're not hindering me from my future any longer. How can you do that? Not on your own. Your own got you in the past mess. The Spirit of God will help you to do what needs to happen in the future. And you don't have to do it. Let Him do it. Allow Him to, to be the one that leads and guides you. So now, here's Acts chapter 3 in the progression of sorts. Now what's happening? Everything that Jesus taught and enabled and showed them to do, He's activated them. And now Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame, uh, uh, from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. And who, seeing Peter and John, they went up to him and they asked him for alms. Now, what did John do? He said, fixing his eyes on him, Peter said, he, and this is my analogy, this is what Peter said. He said, look at us. We're as broke as you are. You know, I was hoping maybe you'd give me some alms. Look, look, I got nothing. I got nothing. And then Peter said, well, wait a minute. I, I do have something. And this is such a great point because when we look at ourselves, well, I don't have a doctor's degree. I, I don't have this. I haven't spent time in Betty's class. I haven't done these things. I haven't listened to enough of Pastor Caleb's services. So we, we just kind of discredit ourselves. But uh, he drew in deep and he said, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. Them. And then Peter just said it. He said, look at my pockets. I, I don't know if they had lint in their pockets back then, if they air dried all their clothes. Do you get lint in your pockets if you air dry your clothes? But anyway, he said, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Now, I don't know about you, Jackie, but if you were like that guy and Jesus reached his hand out to you and he said, rise up and walk, and then you walk, would that be better than a Big Mac to get? Yeah, that would be much. Come on, sister, that would be much better than a Big Mac. Do you understand? We have something to offer people that can't be purchased. It's not about money. It's not about stature. It's not about where we've been or who we are. It's because of Jesus. Hallelujah. All because of Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. 
What matters is it's who you know. And when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus, you know the one who will enable you to do whatever he has asked and called you to do. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Wow, one out of seven points in the sermon today. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I'm warming up. Uh, can I preach the rest of December? Um, I want you to think of this as the progression that I'm, I'm showing you. Creation. Uh, you know, Mary, the Holy Spirit, Jesus at the baptism. You know, showing us the lepers being healed. Uh, I'm going to do you with power from on high. They, they waited in the upper room. Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10, something amazing happened that opened the floodgates for you and I, that God opened the ministry to the Gentiles. I couldn't even get to that because I already don't have enough time as it is. But now we're in that position, and listen to this. In verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So when you have Jesus in your heart, he's wiped your slate clean. And whoever wants to condemn you, you need to just look at them and say, I bind you, Satan, in the same way that Jesus did to Peter. Because what they're doing is they're bringing up a condemnation of something that Jesus has cleaned out. And so when you say to yourself, well, I can't do that because I smoked pot in eighth grade. It's like, knock it off. Jesus knows. I got news for you. He knows. He knows. You might have told your parents it was somebody else's pot, but Jesus knew whose it was. Why are you laughing so hard for? <laughs> that hadn't happened in the past or something. Listen. Think about that. He knows and he still wiped your slate clean. So there's no condemnation. You are free to move in the kingdom of God. Amen. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, he, he condemned sin in the flesh. Move with me to, uh, let's go to verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, therefore, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is not in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of his righteousness. And verse 11 says this. I read all that to get to this. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your life, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. We've came 
full circle from beginning to redemption to our purpose. Now, one of the things that you have to understand is this. When you move in obedience, you don't necessarily see everything that God is seeing. But like the lepers, when you'll move toward, just take one step toward what God is calling you to do, the creative spirit inside of you begins to lead you, open it up, and now you've got the corner pieces of the puzzle, and as you walk further, you get the middle of the puzzle, and as you keep walking forward, it all unfolds for you, and what God wants you to do, now you're capable to do because He's given you everything that you need to do. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. He hasn't called us to a place to leave us at that place. Go back to Mark chapter 1 as I close this morning. What I read to you in Mark chapter 1 was the seven or eight things that the blueprint of God has given us to do the work of the church. And in verse 14... Point number two is this. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is, has drawn near. That's what it means to be at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what happened at this inception, at this very moment of Mark 1.15 is now it became a Kairos moment. We are living in a Kairos historical moment that began back in Mark chapter uh, 1 and it will move through until the return of Jesus Christ comes. We are in the midst of this moment. It's an appointed time from heaven above. It's a time, a specific time, for proper time for action to be taken for God's kingdom to be moved forward. And somebody look at your neighbor and tell them that somebody's history is depending on you right now. Just tell them, somebody's history is depending on you right now. Isn't it interesting that the very next thing that Jesus did was he formed a team. Why did he do that? Because if you know the acronym of team, it's powerful. Together, everyone achieves more. And that goes for the kingdom as well. Together, everyone achieves more. Nobody was meant to be an island in the kingdom of God. Power and the benefit of the Spirit. It's time is for right now. And the church is the team that... Jesus dwells inside all the individual units, but he brings us together as a team to accomplish great things. Would you stand for me this morning? Next week, I'm going to talk about point number four. And it's how Jesus, when he taught, he activated. Demons were cast out. Soon after that, people were healed, infirmities were healed. We're going to have testimonies of people's incredible healings. They're going to blow you away. You don't want to miss it. And if you know anyone who needs a healing, get them here on Sunday, next Sunday. Get them here because we're going to activate everything that we've been empowered to do. Amen?
If you'd like a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, because that's what it says, that we're to continually be filled with the Spirit, just lift your hands up. We're not going to, don't worry if you lift your hands up, I'm not calling you forward. Don't, Don't worry, I'm not calling you forward to fall over. Just lift your hands up, please be obedient. Just if you want a fresh infilling of the Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask for this section right here, that a tremendous impartation of your Spirit would just come and fill all those who are lifting their hands. Pour yourself out to them. Refresh them, encourage them, guide them, and keep them in the place that you've called them for ministry and help them to be obedient. Father, I just pray an anointing upon this section. Let a fresh impartation and a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, carobo katande, fareneste te 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 te, come upon them, Father for the uh, guidance that they need. Father, I pray, God, that they would know and understand that there is no condemnation that can work in their lives to keep them from doing what you've called and gifted them to do and fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for this section of amazing people. I thank you, God, that each and every one of them has a destiny. I thank you, God, that it doesn't matter about anyone's past because you have erased the whiteboard of their life and you've given them redemption to move in to the purpose and giftings of their future. So Father, right now, fill and empower them by your Holy Spirit, Father. And Father, in this section right here, I just pray, God, for the giftings of God to pour out, that the gifts that uh, you so readily give to us, that they would flow, God, naturally and easily to these folks. Impart a fresh impartation of your Holy Spirit into their life, Father. Let them move with the authority and the grace that you've given them to do ministry that's going to transform people's lives. And Father, help this Redeemer team to come together and with one voice and with one heart and with one vision. Empower us to do the things that you've called and gifted us to do as a church so that we can be a part of changing our neighborhood, our Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for the connections and the teamwork that you've given us with with Victory and Scottwood. And we pray in advance into our Christmas outreach. And we ask God that lives would be changed, hearts would be transformed, that peace and joy could come into people's lives. And Lord, that there would be many salvations and much healing and great connectors that would come about from that uh, uh, outreach that we're doing. And Father, today it's with everything within us that we say thank you for the grace that you have for us, the love that you have for us, and help us to be your children about your business in the church that you love and gave your life for so much. And Father, we just give you praise and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise.